Welcome to our weekly Church on the Rock podcast. For more information, visit us at churchak.org, download our Church on the Rock AK app, or like us on our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our weekly podcast. today that can testify that you were once dead, but now you've made alive in Christ. Come on, man. It's so good. And now you're walking in freedom. That's what it's all about. Jesus came to bring freedom in your life because that's what he does. And so I'm excited to be here, man. I love getting to worship with all of you. Sundays are one of the best days for that reason. I mean, where else can you come with just a bunch of people, like-minded, all worshiping their faces off for Jesus. Well, hopefully your face doesn't fall off, but we got problems if that's the case. But it is good to be here, man. It's good to be with you guys. Second service. How was your week? I haven't seen a lot of you in a week. Was it good? Okay. Some of you. It was good. Some of you. Hopefully this week's a little better. Well, hey, we're in a book of the Bible called Ecclesiastes. Now go ahead, open it up. Ecclesiastes chapter three. We're going to dive right in. We don't got time to waste, man. There's a lot of ground we need to cover. So if you got your Bibles, I would encourage you to open up. Uh, Chapter 3 is where we're going to start. But let me do a quick recap for you. Pastor Jonathan kicked off our series, and he introduced us to the book of Ecclesiastes. And man, is it rather depressing. I'll just get it out there right now. Um, It's not one of the best pick-me-up, but uh, there are some solid truths and nuggets of wisdom uh, that are applicable to us uh, today in whatever season we find ourselves in. So, um, but he introduced us to the book and uh, the author, who many believe is King Solomon. And in the book, there's a character called the teacher. And he starts off, his very first words in this passage, or in this book, are meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. It's a great start. Now, this word meaningless in the original Hebrew means, or is the word havel, uh, which literally translates vapor or smoke. Uh, so the word meaningless and vanity actually don't convey the real meaning of this word havel to the best of the ability. It, it, really, it literally means it's here for a second and then it's gone, the next. Like that's how quick things happen. And this is a theme throughout the entire book. You're going to read and you're going to hear about this phrase, meaningless or vanity or havel, uh, approximately 38 times throughout the book. So this is a common theme that you're going to see throughout the entire book. Um, And so last week, we discovered that the teacher, he actually goes out on a quest in search of meaning, in search of finding some purpose, if there is any, in this life. And so we talked about four experiments that he tried. The first one was the he pursues or the experiment of knowledge. He says he went out and accumulated wisdom. So much so he became the wisest king that had ever lived. Pretty bold statement. But he searched out wisdom and he searched out knowledge. 
And his conclusion, the greater the wisdom, the greater the grief. The greater the knowledge, the greater the sorrow. In other words, it was Havel. It was meaningless. So then he goes on his next experiment and he goes and pursues pleasure. And he says he accumulated silver and gold and built magnificent buildings and structures and gardens and partook in wine and drank and took in concubines, had women. I mean, he had everything. It actually says he denied himself no pleasure. He did whatever he wanted with whoever he wanted, when he, whenever he wanted. He denied himself nothing. And what did he conclude? None of it was worthwhile. It was all Havel. So then he goes on and pursues foolishness or compares foolishness and wisdom rather. He says, I tried wisdom. It was all Havel. What about foolishness? And he took a good hard look and what he determined was that both the fool and the wise share the same fate. <laughs> they all go to the grave and end the same way. It's all Havel. And then the last pursuit was the pursuit of hard work. He worked hard, left a legacy, but what he discovered was his days of labor were filled with pain and with grief. It was all Havel. So what did he conclude from it all? Ecclesiastes 2, 24, this is what he says. After he's done these experiments, he says, I decided there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God. My summarization, enjoy the simple things. It was the simple things that he found. Throughout all of his experiments, throughout all of his pursuits, what he found, it was the simple things that he actually truly enjoyed and found fulfillment in. I uh, got to spend some time with Pete this week. If you don't know, Pete turned 50. Woo, that's right, man. I heard that's a big one. I'm not there yet, but I got to spend some time with him on his birthday and as we were, I was talking to him about this Sunday and what we're going to be speaking on, and he said, you know what, Paul? That statement rings true more than ever. And if you know Pete, he's done a lot. But he said, it really is the simple things in life that I've come to really enjoy. There's this book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. If you haven't read it, I would encourage you to go check it out. It's a really good read. John Mark Comer, the author, he says, in our pursuit of more, we often miss out on what truly matters. Have you found that to be true in your life? Like maybe you've been after the more. If I could just get this thing, if I could just have a little bit more money in the bank or a little more land or a bigger house or this or that, and in our pursuit of more, we actually miss out on a lot of the simple things that are really the things that, have, that are meant to bring us fulfillment, and joy. And Solomon recognized it. And that's what he was getting at. So that's a brief recap from last week. Uh, there was a lot more that Jonathan unpacked. Man, go back and listen to it if you missed out. It was so good. Uh, but today, we're picking up in chapter three, where we left off. 
And like I said, we got some ground to cover. So go ahead, open your Bibles, Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8. And this is what it says. For everything, there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to turn away, a time to search and a time to quit searching, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be quiet and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is true. And in a world and in a culture where we are in desperate need of truth, we have access to it right here. And so, Father, I pray these next few moments these minutes that we have together as we search out the scriptures, that your spirit would work in this place. It would work in our lives, illuminating our hearts and our minds to the reality of you and what it is that you want to do in each and every single one of our lives. So God, we ask for your spirit to move in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Seasons of life. They're interesting things, aren't they? Like right now, Emily and I, we're in a season of parenting littles. Some of you are already laughing. You already know. Like, feel sorry for us probably. But we have a three-year-old. We have twin boys. They're a year and a half. And um, it's crazy because I honestly could say it's the best season that I've ever been in. And it's also the hardest season I've ever been in. Like, I did not expect that, you know? It's like so much joy, so much excitement. It's like you, you, you just are so in love. And at the same time, you're like, this is miserable. Why do these kids not listen? Like, you're just so frustrated half the time. It's a wild season, I'm telling you what. Um, but the truth is, we're all in seasons of life. You are all in. We are all in a season of life. And most of us, um, we're all in different seasons. Now, some of us share the same season of life, but we're all in a season, right? How many uh, grandparents are in the grandparent season right now? Raise your hand. Come on. Yeah. It looks pretty sweet, not going to lie. <laughs> Seeing my parents interact with my kids. Like, no diaper changes, load them up with sugar, just like send them back. I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> um, but it looks pretty sweet, man. And now how many are in a similar season to Emily and I? You're, you got littles. You're in that season, man. I see that hand. I resonate with you. Let's pray together after. Like, <clears throat> Now, where are my singles at? Any singles in, in the house? Come on, don't be ashamed. There we go. Yeah. Now look around. Okay, I'm going to help you out here. All right? No shame in the single game. We've all been there. The reality is we're all in a season, right? We're in different seasons. And there's a couple things that I want to highlight or draw out in this passage that we just read about seasons that I think are going to help us moving forward. The first one is we need to recognize the season that we are in. 
uh, Solomon, he actually gives them names. Did you notice that? A season to love, a season to grieve, a season to make war. I don't know if any of you are in that season, but right there, there's season, and he gives them name. He recognizes them. And I think the reason we need to recognize, we need to acknowledge the season that we are in, identify it, and even give it a name, is because it helps us shift our focus onto what it is that the Lord is wanting to do in that season. And we're going to get into it in just a second, but your season has a purpose. God's not forgotten you. He's doing something in your season. We need to recognize the season that you're in so you can focus on what he has for you and what he's wanting to do in you to help best prepare you for the season. Just like you would prepare yourself in winter, right? The second thing is you need to recognize that seasons come and seasons go. Now, for some of you, that might be encouraging because you might be just in a hard season right now, a dry season of life. And so to you, that might be encouraging because it will end. Seasons have a start and seasons have a finish. Now, for some of you, you might be in a season that's awesome. That's great. Enjoy it. Relish in it. Bask in it. Thank God for it. But know that that too is going to end eventually. And you will come into the next season, or at least you should. Because if we don't, if we don't recognize seasons come and go, seasons can become lifestyles if we're not careful. We weren't made to remain in a season our entire life. Seasons come, seasons go. I have a lot of friends in college um, that are still living the college life, even though we've been out for like 10 years. And I'm like, what in the world? You're still, go you're still going to Vegas? <laughs> like, you have a wife and kids and you're like, I listen to these guys talk because I'm still in a relationship and I see things on social media and they have not stepped out of that season. It's become a lifestyle for them. And the problem with that is God has new things for you in each season. And if you don't transition from one season to the next, you will miss out on what he has for you. Hence why we recognize the season that we're in and when it is time to transition because he wants to bring you from one season to the next. Which brings me to the last one. Recognize that every season has a purpose. Now, if you've grown up in church, you've probably heard this many, many times, right? Your season has purpose. There's a reason for your season kind of thing. And it's very true. And often it's hard to see. I understand that. <laughs> it's hard to see, especially if you're in a season that's difficult or maybe unfair. And so it can be difficult to sort through, God, what are you actually doing in this time? But the one thing I know, regardless of the season that you're in, the one thing I know he wants to do is grow you and mature you to be more like Jesus in this season. That's across the board in every season of your life. In my current season with my kids, he's, he's helping me. He's showing me what it looks like to become more like Jesus as I love and serve and parent my kids. And he wants to do that in each and every single one of us. So if you're in a season of struggle and you're wondering, God, what do you do? And ask this question, how do you want me to grow more like Jesus in this current season? And if you're honest about that question and you earnestly seek it out, he'll reveal it to you, your purpose in that season. 
Now, that also brings me to the next part of Ecclesiastes that touches on this reality. Ecclesiastes 3, 9, um, 13 says, what do people really get for all their hard work? I've seen the burden God has placed on us all. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. So I concluded there is nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can. And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are gifts from God. There it is again. Enjoy the simple things. But notice that phrase, verse 11. Yet God has made everything beautiful in its own time. You should highlight that. Underline it. Mark it. I've been thinking about that phrase a lot lately. Um, my sister Kimberly got married last weekend. <laughs> Some of you know Kim. You've probably seen her if you've been around. She's, she works uh, here at the church. She's the youth admin, so she works with me a lot. And she's also the women's administrator, so works with Joelle and the team a lot. Um, and she's also up here giving announcements and doing lots of other things. Um, but I got to officiate her wedding. That was wild. It's emotional. Uh, but as I'm getting ready for it, I, be, I just was reflecting on Kim's life. Um, if you don't know, Kim and I don't look a lot alike. Um, reason being, she's adopted from Vietnam. Um, and Kim came into our family. She And I got permission to share this. Don't worry. Um, she came into our family. She was only a few months old. Um, and my dad got to hold her for the first time when she was 38 days old. Um, but I was just reflecting on, on her life and how Kimberly was actually uh, dropped off at a hospital in a town in a city called Vinh, Vietnam. And my dad said she only had, uh, she was in a basket and a blanket, and that was it. And that was the start of her life. Now Kim is in New Zealand right now on her honeymoon with her husband, quite literally living her best life. <laughs> but how did she get from here to here? Right? Like, you can't tell me God was not orchestrating all of these things out in her life to get her to this point. In other words, he was orchestrating and making all things beautiful in their time to get to this moment and the moments ahead. And I'm not saying it was easy, far from it. But what I am saying was that God was finally in the details, crafting and working out her life, making things beautiful until the present moment. It's the only explanation that I have and can see. Ecclesiastes 3 is kind of the Old Testament version of uh, Romans 8, 28, where it says, God is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose for them. Notice that it doesn't say all things are good, but what is he doing? He's working all things together for our good to benefit us one day. In his supernatural way, he takes the good, the bad, the ugly parts of your life 
to weave them together and craft them into something beautiful one day. That's what he promises to do in our life. He promises to do that in every single one of our lives as we pursue and follow him. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. And then he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say the very next sentence, God has placed eternity in the human heart. I love that he follows up with a statement because it's like he acknowledges life's going to be hard, but God's going to work it out somehow. And even so, there's something more beyond this life. There's something more that we have to look forward to. Have you ever thought, is there something beyond just this world we find ourselves in? Have you ever thought there's got to be more to life than what I'm experiencing, what I'm seeing? If you have, you're in good company. <laughs> I'd venture to say most of us have probably thought thoughts like that at some point. And if you haven't, that's okay, but I guarantee you will one day. Because man, life has a way through tragedy or pain or loss or disappointment or failure to make us think beyond what's just the here and now. Like surely there's got to be something. And it's not a bad thing if you've thought that. Because the Bible says in Ecclesiastes, Solomon says that this longing has actually been put inside of you. This desire has been put and placed inside of each and every single one of us. And that longing is intended to draw us closer, closer to the one who gives us meaning and purpose in our lives. The one who ultimately placed that desire and longing inside of us. It's an indicator that there's something more. So rather than looking at things like failure and loss and disappointment as negatives, you could almost flip it, right? And use it as an opportunity to point you to your future hope that one day you'll be set free from this from this life of pain and this life of sorrow. It actually points us to our future. C.S. Lewis says in his book, Mere Christianity, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Isn't that awesome? If you're in this life and you're finding that things aren't really satisfying you, maybe the thought they were, then perhaps there is something more right? And it's worth asking the question, God, is there more? We were created for so much more, and the teacher recognizes it. Now we're going to jump down chapter four. I told you we're covering ground, but chapter four, verse seven, we'll start there. This is what he says. Then I observe that most people are motivated to success because they envy, or sorry, I started a different place. I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. Oh, good. More meaninglessness. This is the case of a man who is all alone without a child or a brother, yet he works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It is all so meaningless and depressing. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If, if a person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. 
Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two stand back to back and conquer. Three, even better, for a triple braided cord is easily is not easily broken. Verse 13, it is better to be poor but wise youth than an old and foolish king who refuses all advice. Such a youth could rise from poverty and succeed. He might even become king, though he has been in prison. But then everyone rushes to the side of yet another youth who replaces him. Endless crowds stand around him, but then another generation grows up and rejects him too. So it is all meaningless, like chasing the wind. I want to take a look at three different men, uh, three different approaches to life uh, that were just mentioned in this passage. And I've given them my own names just for memory's sake, help us remember. But the first guy we're going to look at in Ecclesiastes 4, 7, and 8, we're going to call the driven professional. This man, Solomon says, he worked hard to gain as much wealth as he possibly could. Think like motivated entrepreneur or ambitious employee trying to climb the ladder of success at the company or business that they're at, right? Trying to get to the top. Picture this person's got a great job, work long hours, make good money, could make some more, but has goals and dreams. They're trying to live out, try to make it to the cush life one day. Sound like some people you know or some people in our culture? People often are praised in our culture, right? They're the driven, they're the independent kind of people. And sure, they might not have a lot of uh, friendships, but man, they've got wealth. They've accumulated a lot of stuff and they got the life. Well, there's only a few problems with it. The teacher observes, Solomon observes. The first one is, he says, the toil never ends. In other words, there's this, pursue, like we said, for more. They're never fully satisfied. The riches come, but they don't ultimately fulfill, so we end up wanting more. And so this person pursues and pursues, and it's endless. And the second problem, he's all alone. Sure, he might have achieved success, but he has no one to share it with. The Bible says he has no one with him. I think what the teacher is highlighting here is we don't want to become successful at the expense of being alone because you'll have no one but yourself for the reward that you have to share. So the teacher concludes it's all meaningless. So then we'll jump down to verse 13 and 16, and we're going to call this person the popular politician. This one's not as clear as the first person, but from what we can tell is you have this old and foolish king who has now refused to listen to anybody. He's given up on advice. He's made it to the top, and he thinks he's got it all figured out, so he doesn't need advisors. He doesn't need advice. He's going to do things his own way. Does it sound like any politicians you might know? And so out of nowhere, well, out of poverty, essentially, comes this new and upcoming person, this youth. 
And maybe this person's got vision, passion. He's inspiring hope into the people. And so they latch on to this young person, thinking this is going to be the new king. This is going to be the person who will actually rule and reign the way we want. And so this young person rises to fame and success as the king. And then the teacher shows us where this leads. He says, but then everyone rushes to the side of yet another youth who replaces him. Endless crowds stand around him, but another generation grows up and rejects him too. This new and better king has already become old news and the people are on to the next person. In other words, popularity and power don't promise security. It's not all that it's cracked up to be. In fact, there's a pretty amazing quote by Jim Carrey. He says, I wish everyone could become rich and famous and see that it's not all that they wanted to be. He, he's identifying something that I think a lot of us hear about or acknowledge but having heard it from someone who's experienced it, it's actually not that it's all cracked up to be. And so the teacher's showing us that in this observation, it's all meaningless. But then you get to Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, which is sandwiched, sandwiched right in between these two. And I wanted to save the best for last because I wanted to end on an encouraging note. But this is actually the only person out of the three that doesn't end in vanity. We're going to call this person Richie Rich. Anybody ever seen that movie, Richie Rich? It's an oldie, but a goodie. In contrast to the other two, the one who chose life of sex, success and solid, solitary, and the other one who chose power and popularity, but ended ultimately being rejected, the teacher describes this next one to us as someone who chose real relationship, who decided to choose real companionship. That's actually what this little passage is about. Often they're used, this passage is used in a wedding ceremony. In fact, I used it at my sister's wedding. The two is better than one. But it's not actually just talking about marriage, although the, the principles and the truths apply. It's talking about companionship. It's talking about friendship, real relationship with one another and community. And he gives us a couple of benefits. Number one, you have better success when you're in relationship. Your reward is increased. You can do more and accomplish more. You can go further in life, right? When you have other people running side by side with you. Number two, you have help in time of need. That well, one's pretty obvious, right? You're not alone. You have someone in your corner that's willing to help you, back you up. The third one, you have more comfort. <laughs> so two lying together can keep warm. Hopefully you're not in that situation. But a friend comes alongside to bring comfort, right? To bring relief. Maybe you're in that season. And man, is it refreshing to have a friend by your side in those times. And then fourth, greater protection, it says. Two can stand back to back and conquer. You can cover more ground together. 
the teacher, I think, is really highlighting here is real riches are found in real relationship. That's where real riches actually lie. It doesn't, it's not in your money. It's not in your success. It's not in your power or popularity. It's actually in relationship with one another, genuine friendship, care for one another. Up until this point, in all of Ecclesiastes, everything has ended in meaninglessness. Everything has, except for this part. We should pay attention to that. There might be a reason, right, that this doesn't end in vanity. Because all the other stuff that we've talked about, and even that was mentioned last week, wealth, success, fame, material objects, all of that stuff, guess what? You don't get to take it with you when it's all said and done. But you know what does last forever? Relationship. The people that you impact and, you, and who have impacted you in your life, that actually can carry over into eternity. That's why it's not meaninglessness. That's why we enjoy the simple things. That meal around the table, right? Having pizza together for dinner. Because it's about the simple things. It's not about the more. It's not about all that other stuff that the world would try to convince you of. It's actually quite simple. The life that we are called to a life of purpose and meaning. Key takeaways from today, are you ready? Enjoy the simple things. Recognize seasons come and go. The season you're in, whether good, whether bad, it's gonna end. So enjoy it or know that you'll get through it. Third one, you were created for more than this life. You have eternity placed in your heart. That longing and the, that desire that's been put there for a reason. And the last one, real, real riches is in real relationship. Not in our money, not in our success, but the people that you find yourself connected to. That's where the money is. So would you stand? I want to pray for you as we get out of here. Jesus, God, I pray that, uh, man, we would not overcomplicate things. It's pretty easy. I've done it many, many times. But really, you've called us to live a simple life. Your word says in Thessalonians, may your ambition be to live a quiet life. God, that we don't need the things that the world would try to push upon us. God, ultimately, we need you and the people that you've put around us for relationship, for connection, to find meaning and purpose and even happiness in this life, Jesus. Thank you for putting eternity in our hearts, this longing to be with you one day. So God, may the time that you've given us on this earth never be wasted. Would we not take whatever season we find ourselves in for granted, but we would genuinely ask the question, Lord, how do you want us 
to grow, to be molded and to be shaped more and more like you in this time that I've been given. Knowing that ultimately one day we will come face to face with you, Jesus. So thank you, Lord. We love you and we bless you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, church, you guys are awesome. Uh, we have a send class part two tonight. If you haven't come out for that, we'd love to see you. But if you have, we love you. God bless you. Can't wait to see you next week for a wrap up of our Ecclesiastes book. Thank you for listening. For more of our podcasts and to discover how you can connect, visit us at churchak.org or download our Church on the Rock AK app from either iTunes or Google Play. Thank you.